Hi, and welcome to Barb, 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 the podcast. We've made it to episode three, and today I'm joined by Julia Wright from CBC Radio right here in St. John. Julia and I have been friends for years. Uh, Small editor's note, I think I say 22 years uh, during our interview, but upon reflection, it's more like 31, 32 years. From our humble beginnings on the east side of St. John, Uh, to what you will find out is, I guess, both of our dream jobs, uh, which you'll learn about and you'll learn how she arrived at CBC Radio. Uh, We talk about Danny Joyce, Carol Off, and Jeff Douglas. Uh, She gives me some tips on how to be a better interviewer. I really hope you enjoy it. Julia, thank you so much for being here. It's great to be here. Thank you, Barb. Episode three of the Barb, Barb, Barb podcast hosted in... My living room on Barbara Crescent. <laughs> maybe <laughs> telling too much information to the internet, but uh, maybe I'll cut that out. Just joking. Anyway, look, we have been friends for, uh, without telling my age, uh, 22 years? At 20, least. Yeah, really. Like, I think um, I can picture us in our Sparks uniforms, <laughs> perhaps in our brownie sashes, heading to grade one at Forest Hill School. That happened. We were there. We were there. It was a long time ago. And we have known each other that long. To my great joy. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, Anyway, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. Um, Pleasure for for me to be interviewing you. That's weird. Is it? Yes. It's weird to be interviewed rather than do the interviewing. But I'm, I'm, I'm quickly getting used to it. It's going to be great. <laughs> so, uh, like, look, tell, like, tell, tell um, my newfound listener base, <laughs> LOL, um, tell me about yourself. Okay, well, let's start with us first. Yes. So you and I are born and bred Eastsiders. Yes, Golden Grove We forever. both still live here on the East Side. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I grew up on just off Golden Grove like yourself. Um, you know, with a lot of playing in the woods, I feel. That was our childhood. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I remember dialing phone numbers and being like, do you want to come up or do you want me to come down? I, I don't remember saying my, that sentence many times in my childhood. Up was to Kathleen Drive and there was a very well-established path through the woods to, to that spot. So, yeah. <laughs> so from there um, to Forest Hills and from you know, sparks and brownies to guides and even pathfinders. If you were uh, a true yep. keener, I was there. You were there, yeah. And uh, and now here we are on this podcast. So I'm shaking my head. <laughs> Feels like yesterday, but also I went to the chiropractor last week for my back. So obviously, it was not yesterday. <laughs> it's true. Look, our lives have taken twists and turns. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm I'm working at the city of St. John, literally in my dream job. And you are um, literally hosting the morning show (laughs) on CBC Radio uh, to, you know, everyone from where? Sussex to St. Stephen and up to... Southwestern New Brunswick. And that is also (laughs) my dream job, just for the record. Um, Yeah, so I've been at CBC for five years now. So it started off uh, covering a mat leave for Sarah Trainer, who is still our newsreader on the show. And uh, yeah, I started off reading the news and um, did that for about a year and a half. I spent a year uh, after that as a digital reporter and then got back into the world of radio, which was really one of my first loves um, in, in a work sense because prior to that, I was, I was working in private radio for CHSJ and The Wave. 
So uh, that was kind of my my first foray. Walked in off the street with a binder full of, of like newspaper clippings and said, hey, I, I, I wrote these things for your magazine. Was, do you think I could try radio? And they said, sure, why not? Uh, so how did you get started? Like, uh, were you writing uh, newspaper articles for, you know, the Greyhound newsletter? I was. I did. So, um, you know, from our humble beginnings on the east side of Forest Hills, I uh, went to St. John High School because that was a school that had the IB program and it was cool and it kind of allowed me to escape Forest Hills, which wasn't, you know, always the best experience for me. So, uh, oh, look, it only went to grade uh, eight. It only went from grade one to eight. <laughs> so, literally, any impression that anyone had, you really stuck with that for what, eight years of your That's life? Right. So, anyway, yeah, I, I went to St. John High, uh, wrote for the Vitalis, actually, was the name of the school newspaper. But journalism was never something that I really thought that I could pursue a career in in St. John. It's funny, like, I always thought I was going to end up uh, teaching English. That was always what I thought I would do. And uh, anyway, when I ended up going to school, it was almost like, what are, what are the things that I could see myself being like somewhat good at? And writing essays was something I always enjoyed, and reading was something I always really enjoyed. So English was actually what I pursued, rather than journalism. I didn't even know that was a thing, like that that was a program that I could take. It was not on my radar. I think I wrote one article. It was not a long I was, and illustrious newspaper career. I was just going to ask, like, you know, was it that, you know, the hounds beat the, uh, I don't know, the Seabees, 98 to <laughs> yes. 94 in basketball? No, it wasn't basketball. I believe <laughs> I wrote a, um, a a diatribe against the war in Afghanistan. And I believe I also wrote, a, a like, a personal essay that was probably based on experiences cutting glass and going uptown and, and walking around. I could dig it out for you. I actually, I should do that so you could read it. It's not very, very good stuff, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> so when you went to university, where did you go? What did you take? So I went to UNB in Fredericton, um, just because that was, you know, where my boyfriend at the time went. And Absolutely. I and I wanted to see what was out there. So I moved to the, the big metropolis of Fredericton and uh, spent four years there and loved my experience there. I had an awesome undergrad experience. And uh Anyway, had a lot of support from, it's a great small school, like I don't know um, where you went, but UNB is an extraordinarily supportive environment, and actually later when I did my master's at McGill, I found that, for me anyway, the experience that I had at UNB was uh, way better for me. It was smaller, it was like more, you know, personal relationships with your fellow classmates and with profs, it was awesome. So anyway, um, I w like I said, I went on to, to do an MA, and I studied comic books, I know. Neat. Yeah, they were like nonfiction comics, like reporting and stuff. Um, so that was kind of, I guess, a seed of journalism because the comic books that I was really interested in were nonfiction, graphic novels. Um, I, I wrote a, a lot about um, this guy named Joe Sacco who covered the Bosnian crisis in the 90s, and he drew it all. And he was also like a reporter for, I think it was like, uh, I'm going to get this wrong, but it was like the New York Times. And anyway, so he was a writer and an illustrator. And I was just thought that was cool, like the marriage of words and images, um, taking photos and then, and then pairing it with text like that kind of thing always really spoke to me and it was actually a forerunner of like social media and things like that like instagram images and words together telling a story anyway it all kind of it all led to this weird point i don't know came back to st john and then uh that was when i started kind of figuring out what i was gonna end up doing for my career it wasn't very clear because the english teacher thing really didn't work out mm -hmm. didn't do an english i didn't do an, an education <laughs> no degree education. that would have been good yeah. that would have been smart as, as you walked into my home and we 
uh, you know, I was like, here's my living room. I should have showed you my stack of hard times in the Maritimes. Ah, <laughs> which that's have, where it really all started, Barb. It was. Well, so explain uh, what hard times in the Maritimes is. Well, okay. We're doing the full sort of narrative of how things got here. Um, yeah, when I came back from my degree, I was working at the uh, city market. I was working at the Tea Infusion when that was still a, a restaurant. And uh, I really had no clue what my career path was going to be. I worked at a group home before that. I was kind of just, you know working um, whatever job I could find and really enjoying all of them, to be honest. But mm. anyway, when I was kind of, um, you know, making soup and pies and thinking about maybe going back to school and going to culinary school, I, I realized that I I could write, you know, like I, I love writing and it was really something that I felt like I, I could give back to St. John. And uh, so I started a zine that was actually called The Tempest. That was my very first zine. And uh, the first issue, I believe, was called Oddities and Eccentricities. And um, I wrote a story about the Lake Utopia monster and um, another story where I explored this, like, weird... Um, uh, it was, like, this this guy's house. It was an abandoned house off uh, Ashburn Road. And I went there with some friends, and we kind of, like, solved the mystery of this local legend that, you know, I'd heard about in high school called the Goat Man. And we went to this uh, abandoned house to get, like, the truth about this this guy that... It's kind of like a Boo Radley figure. And anyway, it was sort of investigative, but it was sort of creative writing. And it was all done on a typewriter. It was very, very, like, lo-fi. And uh, that was kind of my first magazine. And then that led to Hard Times in the Maritimes, which was, like, a bigger and expanded version of that with um, the the key collaboration of Pamela Marie Pierce, who's such a talented mm -hmm. St. John illustrator. And uh, she and I really fully collaborated on that whole thing. And it was, like, an open um, submission call. Anyone in St. John could could submit and beyond. Uh, we got submissions from all over the Maritimes, as the title suggests. And uh, Pamela would uh, illustrate it. I would type it and edit it and write my own stuff for it. And uh, that continued for two years. That was a long project, two monthly. Two years. Uh, that led to an interview uh, with your magazine. They thought that it was a cool project. And then um, after interviewing me about the zine, they hired me for an internship. That was my first journalism job. Wow, at Here Magazine, and what a fantastic magazine that was, really um, supported St. John. Yeah, it was cool. I remember reading that when I was like 12, and they would have like the, the best in, of St. John Awards, and I, I ended up completely ripping off that idea for my own zine and like doing the best and worst of St. John and voting, you know, people, uh, you know, the cutest or <laughs> like the best band and stuff like that, so. I think about that often. Every time I see Judd Crandall, I go, he's still the best dressed guy in St. John. Yep, <laughs> it's true, it's true. And now he's got the best dressed partner. What a weird uh, career path. That's like not... Wow. Yeah. Hard times to hear magazine. So then from here magazine, you're interning. Yes. What does that mean? That was hard. It was really hard. <laughs> there was no money associated with that. It was oh, like, so they were like, will you please volunteer? <laughs> no, they, it wasn't quite no money, but it was close. And so, you know, making it work, uh, you know, I think it was like $12 an hour or something like that. And there was no job security. And it was just, it was tough. It was like, I loved it. And eventually I got laid off from that job because, you know, it's journalism in yes. St. John. And I really thought that that was it. And I had really found something I loved doing and I was never going to do it again. How sad is that? Wow. I was so wrong. So we're lucky. so wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So you moved to CBC. Sarah Trainer heads out to have her first baby. Mm -hmm. You cover her mat leave. Mm -hmm. What 
What beat? What beat could you possibly be on? So I was uh, reading the news. So the beat was not much of a beat. It was really um, just you know taking stories that other people had written and bringing them to air mm-hmm. and doing my best with that. I, I you know it was, took some training to kind of get better at it and get <laughs> get going with it and and writing some web stories too. So taking those interviews and then um, making some notes, doing some maybe additional call phone calls, extra interviews, and then writing those for the website, which was really scratching my itch for writing and you know, getting stuff out there, publishing stuff. Yeah. I d- so, uh, okay, so you're covering Sarah's uh, mat leave. D- does that turn into another, um, like, temp position, or is there a full-time position that opens up and you can squeak your way in? They hired me full-time after that, and it was, like, an incredibly happy day for me. I, you know, I, I, that was what I wanted, and that and, and, and they took a chance, and they hired me. There were, there were lots of incredibly talented people uh, who work for CBC and being one of those people is a, uh, it's a privilege. <laughs> it is. I, I'm going to tell you a story and okay. I want you to cringe because it's cringe. Okay. Uh, I'm ready. So I'm, cringe. I'm, I'm driving home, uh, from work and I would, I would always leave work or maybe it was a gym. It doesn't matter, but I, it would be after, uh, the world at six. So it's, as it happens is on. Uh, so Carol is telling this, you know, just telling a story as it happens, um, about this robot that had been programmed to, to throw up. And she makes a joke about this. And I go, oh, my God, Carol. I say this out <laughs> loud to no one in my car. And I was like, okay. I listen to a lot of CBC. <laughs> it's not cringe. You're not alone in that. You know, radio is a really personal medium. You're in people's homes. It's not like... Um, any other medium it's intensely individual because people don't listen to the radio in big groups of people anymore mm. like maybe they gathered around the you know victrola or the radio set back in the 50s and, and did that but like now when you're like talking to someone on the radio you're essentially talking just to them that's the really cool thing about it mm. because you, you you know people have invited you into their home and you do develop a i've had that kind of relationship with like podcast hosts that i really liked see so with cbc hosts you feel like you know them because if they're good at it, they give you that. They give you that sense of like, uh, almost of intimacy or a friendship of warmth, right? You know what? This is actually now that I have you trapped in my home, this is my opportunity to ask you another CBC question that I wanted to know. Uh, in a past life, um, I I dated a, a musician from St. John, and, um, and and you know, as as some relationships go, it ended. And, uh, and Adam, who was, too, a beautiful writer, sold a guitar on Kijiji that he had bought after we broke up. This Kijiji listing, which turned out to be an essay. About your relationship. About our relationship and, you know, him buying this guitar um, in a bad decision and realizing he wasn't cool enough to own it and and This was like a post-breakup it. decision. Absolutely. Um, anyway, this story got picked up by you. You that know, was, you you guys did it. I mean, not everyone would have played ball with that. Like, so what happened was Adam, your ex, posted this Kijiji listing that he had written, and it was beautifully written. And it was just this human interest story about you know your break, this breakup, and like his feelings about it all through the sort of lens of this guitar. And yeah, we totally did. I totally did write a story about that. And I believe. Didn't it get picked up by As It Happens? This is where I'm going with this. (laughs) I, like, second degree got to experience 
being on As It Happens. I wasn't on there. My voice was not on As It Happens. I believe Adam's was. But it was your life. But it was my life. And I, and anyway, it was wild. It was wild. Good wild or bad wild? Good wild. Like I, it really brought to life how, uh, how cool that story really was. Uh, anyway, that, that's a weird way to say that, but. No, no, it's, I think I get it. It's like, it brought legitimacy to this whole thing that you guys had experienced and brought it to a wider audience. You almost can see yourself through the lens of other people or something. Yeah. Yeah. It was really nice. But anyway, I, I still thank you for that. Every once in a while it will come up in my Facebook memories and I believe I resurface it because I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I was there. Jeff Douglas did refer to me in a tweet as an ex. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Jeff. <laughs> Oh, geez. So really, the whole reason that I've asked you to be uh, in my dining room today is I really want to talk about interviewing. And and the reason that, that I thought that I would have this conversation with you is because I've realized it's very hard. Yes, it is hard. So, so can I ask you what you find hard about it? So for me, I find um, I find keeping a conversation going... Um, because I know what I'm interested in. I know what I want to know. But when I'm thinking about a podcast or a larger audience, even if it's just my boyfriend and my mom, like, what did they want to know about our conversation? Because I think sometimes things go unsaid. Or sometimes they might wish that perhaps I had drilled down into something you had said and I just glazed past it because I know that story. Or, mm. you know, little things like that. Or... Or what am I, what's the goal? What's my goal of our time together? And, and for me, I find that for me is the hardest part. See, that is the first step is identifying what you want to get out of a conversation, but then also being prepared to completely throw that out the window. Because sometimes what you want to know is not actually what is going on with that story or that person. And it's fine if, you know, you're interviewing um, like a politician or someone who has done something that you need to seek accountability uh, from them on, right? Mm -hmm. And then you got to hammer it and try and get that thing. But like other times when it's an interview like this, like listening, that's the key. That is always the key. Mm -hmm. You have to listen with your whole body almost. Like you have to like fully be like a mind meld with that person it's actually exhausting <laughs> if you're doing it right it's really tiring you have to listen to every single thing that they say and not just that but like how they're saying it and what you you feel might be going on said and what questions make them tense up or pause in a way that you know suggests there's something more behind it you really have to listen to all the verbal and nonverbal cues that that person's providing you with to sort of understand like what are they really trying to tell you or not tell you just that, eh? No big deal. Wow. So I just I just tried to fully listen to what Julia was saying to me, and I am exhausted. No, I'm just kidding. You know what helps? <laughs> Picture it like subtitles. You know, like you watch a movie with subtitles. Yes. Like if you're a visual learner, if you're like, you know, word-based, I forget what that's called. Like mm -hmm. you learn through words. Like I find that that is helpful to me. I picture what they're saying kind of floating in front of me. And, and I know. It's weird. Yeah, but that's a, it's a really good interesting way to think of it i prefer to watch movies with subtitles because i i don't want to miss anything but yes but then i also miss what's going on around me or what's going on on the screen because i'm reading but mm. yeah there's but, no secret to interviewing other than um listening in preparation you know 
you have to like know as much as you can about the subject, um, but not, you know, go into it wanting to show off your knowledge of said subject, but just mm. having a well of information to, to draw in, to ask intelligent questions and follow up with what the person is saying. I'm glad you touched on preparation. Uh, so I don't, I don't, uh, I, I don't want to call you a cheater because you're not, you're, you would do your own preparation separate because you're an interested person, but you you've help. Oh yeah, at the CBC, I have incredible help. So we are a small and mighty team. Um, you know, we we have uh, an associate producer, a producer, and a technician, all of whom are key to the show, and they write what we call greens, which are scripts, right? And uh, you'll be pleased to know that you've already mastered the first part of the script, which is the focus statement. It's like, what do you want to get out of the interview? Like, why are we having this conversation? Mm-hmm. And that goes right at the top. So already you're on your way to being yes. a professional. <laughs> I'll have to tell Rachel Cave this so that, you know, next time that you have a, a personal day or some vacation booked, it's like, look, I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> I'll step up, She's Rachel. She's the master, so you should be talking to her on the show. She is the absolute master. Yeah, so. I agree with that. Yeah. So when you say, you know, you have your script, you have your, your green paper, that's what you called it? That's an old term. Um, it's not green anymore. It's just what we call it. <laughs> like, so back in the day, I believe, and I may get this wrong, but like there was there was carbon paper, right? So that they could make copies of the scripts and the, 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 the copy that the host would get, I think, was actually green. Oh. And, and as it happens, they are still green. Yeah, because I, I went there and, and when Jeff Douglas was there and of course, Carol Off was still there and, and they still print them on green paper. This kind of tradition. Wow. Yeah. I, and, but anyway, we still call it a green, and uh, other people generally do prepare those for me. Sometimes I write my own. Mm-hmm. Like I'm interviewing uh, Chris Donovan, who's a St. John photographer, yeah. who you, I believe, would know. Super uh, interesting guy. And I wrote that green or that script. Mm-hmm. So I'll go into that with research that I've done, and maybe someone else has looked at it, and they would change a few things. Like my producer, Colin McPhail, would like look at it and alter it or change it around a little bit, and then... We're off to the races. So on CBC in the morning, like, you know, you would have a, a five or a seven minute slot that you need to get this many questions in. And this is what we want to know. This is your focus statement or this is your number one question at the top of your green paper. Mm-hmm. What happens if, you know, I come in with my own agenda? I'm So I'm being interviewed by you. You're going to ask me about event or show that I have planned. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to listen to what you're saying Mm -hmm. and I'm just going to say whatever I want. Well, how how would you deal with something like that? One way to do that is to give the audience enough credit to know that they will know when a person has come in and done that. Mm. The best defense against someone who comes in against their own, with their own agenda, I should say, is like a really crisp question. I could just say something like, why are you talking about the soapbox derby? Like, what well, seems like you really want to talk about the soapbox? Like, draw attention to that to, to the what's fact happening. That they're not break the fourth wall. You're not answering my question. You know what I mean? Like, so so say, well, what about the real thing that we're here to talk about? You can like direct the conversation back to that. And if someone is just not answering the question, just repeat the question. There's no shame in that. Mm-hmm. You know, if they haven't answered it or have proven unwilling to go there, just ask it again. You know. Well, and I guess if they're on your show, they've agreed to be there. They have, you know, <laughs> and so most of the time that really doesn't happen. And also right. um, people in Southwestern New Brunswick are extraordinarily, um, the people want to come on the show and they want to, they want to have a 
honest conversation, hopefully. Yeah. Right. That's why we've invited them and that's why they've agreed. So I, I don't run into that too, too often. There are exceptions, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it's, but it is rare because I think most of the time people are, you're, they're dealing with you in good faith if they've decided to come on. Um, like I said, there's always exceptions, but by and large, you can sort of get around that. And, and handle it. It's such a great point that you brought up that people want to be on the show. And they do. Like, the Information Morning is so popular and interesting and fun. And thank you. That's great to hear. I really appreciate well, that. Well, you would have to know that and have spent many a morning and many, many a time sitting across from Hans. You know, I, back in the past when you could come Go, in when you could come in and have those interviews in person and read body language and you know look in someone's eye when you're having the conversation but we haven't been able to do that at all since covid right I mean, that has really changed the job a lot because we're dealing with uh, bad phone lines we're dealing with like rural internet zoom calls and like the sound quality is not great um sometimes calls drop sometimes we can't get the person at all. Um, mm-hmm. There's all kinds of uh, hassles and issues attendant to just purely the, the COVID age and not being able to have people in the studio. Like, it's going to be a whole thing to get used to having people in again. It's crazy. Absolutely. It's, but yeah, it's been a while. You guys have done a great pivot, though, in that you're you're going out to the field. Yep. You're going to gardens. You're going on hikes. You're out on kayaks. Like, you have you has that been a response to COVID or just a response to the interests of your listening public i think both because like i love that stuff so i'm a big outdoor person and i love you know going to visit people where they are and seeing them do their thing so like that was always a big part of my reporting and now it's become a big part of the show but it's definitely covid has been part of that and for a while even doing that and and it still is depending on you know where we are with restrictions in the province but like we would have to use like a seven foot pole literally like a boom mic and a mask and like it's really hard to build rapport with people when you're also trying to stay distance and obey the COVID mm-hmm. precautions. So that has been a whole new skill too, like how to communicate with someone that you're safe right now. And I, I have good intentions toward you, like just with your eyes, you know, like trying to, you know, make someone feel comfortable enough to talk to you in, in a natural way when they can't even see your face and you're literally sticking a pole and in the face. It's so is. hard. Yeah. <laughs> That's, it's a funny image to think. Of. It is. It is funny. And like, you know, hopefully we're, coming out of this and we'll be back in a place where we can have like more conversations like this like just sitting across from one another would be great what happens if somebody's just not giving you anything when you ask a question and they're just like yeah Mm. dead dead silence that's hard um i think that there are that that, that's all in the question that you're asking right Mm -hmm. because if like there are types of questions that elicit uh, a yes or no response, obviously, like a yes or no question. Like, <laughs> yes. like did, was that scary? Yeah, it was scary. You know, or like, or, or are you, do you want people to come to your event? Yes, we would love it if they did. You know, <laughs> so those don't elicit open responses. So asking open-ended questions, which is, again, goes back to the green, you know, asking questions like, Take me back to the moment that the accident happened when you saw the the beaver on the bridge or, you know, <laughs> like whatever that you're trying to like questions that elicit a story or like, you know, tell me, um, you, you know, where did this start or like, where do you hope things will go or like, how did you do a thing rather than questions that sort of close it off and they could only answer one way. Um, the script is so important 
Like it all comes back to that. And if a guest um, isn't feeling it that day or, or isn't feeling you that day or you're not feeling it that day, the green or the script is what will save you. You know, mm-hmm. it's the writing will save you. You can always go back to that. And if it's well done, then it will it will give you something that hopefully will get the person there. And it's not always that person's fault either. Like some people, people get really nervous. Um, like everyone, you know, has days where um, it's not coming naturally to them or maybe you have misunderstood the whole story and they're just going, who is this person who thinks that they know about what, you know, I'm doing here. And, and, and anyway, I, I always kind of uh, realize that if an interview isn't going well, like people give um, whatever energy you're kind of giving to them. So if I'm having like a nervous off day or I'm like, this person kind of freaks me out, which does happen. Mm. I also get quite nervous talking to some people. Um, I, I have to remember that they can feel that even through the phone. Like, they can feel how I'm feeling. And uh, that's what it comes down to. It's, like, got to be an authentic... We have to meet each other, you know? I really liked that you had said earlier about, you know, radio being an interest... Or in, and in this case, and if, if I'm thinking about the podcast, it being a personal experience. You know, you're not speaking to an auditorium full of people. You're not singing the national anthem at the Calgary Flames game. Like, you're like Danny just... Danny Joyce. Oh, Danny. <laughs> the best. We love what Danny a, Joyce. What a beautiful interview that was. He's so genuine and precious. But, mm. you know, if you're speaking to one person, that could alleviate a lot of stage fright and, and the, like, yep, mm-hmm, yep, that's how that went. Yeah, that was scary. You know, yeah, it could because you're just you're having that one on one conversation to, you know, your mom or who's, of course, listening to you if you're on CBC that is Radio. What I tell people when they they tell me that they are nervous to do a radio interview, I'm like, we are just talking to each other. You know what I mean? And then you kind of remove that. I don't know, like that like announcer thing, <laughs> like where you're trying to talk like you're talking to the stadium of people because that that's not going to hit right because like people aren't listening to it in that environment they're just listening to you and they're going about their day they're driving to work they're getting the kids ready for school they're eating breakfast they're still in bed sometimes Mm -hmm. and that's why it's so um intimate and that's why it feels like such a a warm relationship you know because you are right there with them as they do their thing and you're present actually in the case of covid for the past two years for this like trauma and, 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 and tragedy that we're all collectively living and you're also kind of like sharing the new and, and sometimes really bad information with people. And it's almost like, you know, you want to make it easy on them somehow, make it like better for people. And um, that's kind of, I think, our role, you know, is to like tell people what they need to, to survive and the truth and and also to, to make it okay, you know, to make them feel like... Um, you, you, we care about each other in this community because this is my community. Like St. John is my community. I've grown up here. I, I will always live here, you know, and uh, I feel that sense of responsibility in those conversations for sure. And, the, and, and that, that never leaves. So, you know, you've, you are, you found your dream job. You, you're, you're there, you're mm-hmm. living it every day. So what could possibly be next? Well, I, you know, that's an interesting question because, uh, well, this is, uh, it's an amazing opportunity and, uh, I do not know what is next. I don't know, um, what plans there will be for me within C. It's hard to say. I mean, I would like to, um, you know, get out of COVID on the other side of that and see what there is there for all of us, you know, mm-hmm. like get through this, like 
massive unfolding story, which has been the defining story of, of really my, my whole life as a journalist, because mm-hmm. this has been so consuming and affected every area of our lives. So the next thing for me is just like, whenever that amorphous end is, if we reach an end and it doesn't just like peter out, out which and, and, and there's no end, there's no finish line with like a trophy or anything for getting through this. But I mean, it'll just be interesting to see uh, where this, what this looks like after that without the daily reporting on cases and vaccination rates and press conferences and all that stuff. So if you think back now, so 2019, uh, March started hosting mm-hmm. the show. What's been your favorite interview? Could you, could you do, can you do a top one? Oh, man. Can you See, do a top two? That's one of those questions that elicits a great response, right? Because like top two, geez. Okay. I, I really can't, choose and that is so uh difficult because there have been so many that have given so much uh to me and like people that have been so amazing i don't know but one of one that stands out i guess uh was my interview with freeman patterson um he's a world famous photographer he lives on champers bluff and i read many of his books uh not knowing that he uh that he lived in new brunswick still you know, like I didn't even know. And uh, then one day on the show, he called into the trivia contest <laughs> and it was a story. It was a question about say, uh, a, like a which mushroom is like a lethal mushroom that, that, that is, is native to New Brunswick and Freeman Patterson called in and I could not, I could not like disguise my fangirl. I said, Freeman Patterson on Champers Bluff. And I was like, hold the line to the tech. Like we went to a song or something and I was like, I, I'm so glad he called in because holy crap, like you live locally, like what? And and so we, it was this whole exchange. We ended up, uh, you know, arranging an interview immediately. And I went out and, and spent the day kind of walking around taking photos with him. And it was like, it was a spiritual experience. This is someone that I, I idolize and think is a brilliant photographer. And uh, he was an example of someone who just invited me into his life and with a, a shred of self-consciousness gave everything you know like he told me everything about himself his childhood his recreational marijuana use his like everything you know he was just he had no at the age of 70 something had no you know concern for what people would think or what i would think and he was brilliant which helped right and uh you know just walking around with him and it was like november it wasn't like a beautiful summer day or anything it was like freezing cold gray day and uh it, it passed like you know and he uh yeah, it was it was an honest conversation, and we've kept in touch since then. I don't know. Weirdly, uh, uh, several of my favorites have involved the Kingston Peninsula, because uh, I love just like getting in the car and driving, and you know, seeing where we end up, and uh, driving around with people, um, getting them to show me the places that they go that they love. You know, there is nowhere that I'm happier than like on a dirt road with no cell reception, like with some farmer or like a developer or someone who is doing something that I would never have otherwise got to visit or be part of. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and you get the inside track on all of it. Like it's a great job because you get to explore and people take you in their world, right? Like you get to see so many facets of life in New Brunswick from the richest of the rich to the poorest of the poor to the creatives and like scientists and people on the front lines in the medical profession. Mm-hmm. Like people are, it's a whole range, you know? So it's hard to pick a favorite, but but that day with Freeman that, Patterson, yeah, was up there. Well, look, this, uh, this has been my absolute pleasure. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Barb. And you have mad interviewing skills. Oh, look at us. No, this has been a pleasure. I appreciate it very much, Julia. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Barb.
Thanks so much for listening. That's it for today. Thank you so much to the Maritime Collective for their support in the production of this podcast. Thank you to the Constantines for Young Lions. See you later.